Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. Amen. Amen. Good morning once again. Go ahead and take your seats. Please open with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter in your New Testament. Look for, you know, the big book, Hebrews in your New Testament. Then go two books to the right. So you're going Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. And what we've been doing for the last several weeks is one thing we really like to do here at Whitefields is we like to go through books of the Bible consecutively. So we'll go verse by verse through entire books of the Bible. And so it's kind of like playing golf. We, we hit the ball and then the next week we pick up where, where we left off. And so that's what we're doing. This week we're going to be picking up in chapter 3, verse 18. So 1 Peter chapter 3, if you use a Bible app, we encourage you to use the Version Bible app because We've got notes in there, the stuff that's on the screen, and more ways to interact, as well as the community group study guide is in there as well. We're going to begin our study this morning by reading some of the verses, not all the verses that we're going to cover, but we'll begin by reading the first few verses that we're going to look at, and then we'll jump into our study. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we read it this morning, as we consider it, Lord, we come to you with open hearts and open minds, asking you to speak to us, asking you to guide us and direct us into your will for our lives. Lord, we know that there are things that you want to speak to us through this passage, that you want to uh, speak into our lives, and Lord, we want to be receptive to your word. So we pray, Lord, that we would be receptive, that you would speak, that we would hear it, and we would put it into practice in our lives, and you would do your transforming work in us as we consider your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been in a situation that wasn't very much fun? I'm sure all of us have, right? Maybe you were in a job that, was, uh, that you hated, or maybe you were uh, you know, in a toxic work environment that you just wanted to get out of, or maybe it was a living situation that you were in that was awful, right, and you didn't like it, and it was awkward or uncomfortable. And our tendency whenever we're in a situation that's uncomfortable or that we don't enjoy is, of course, that we want to get out of that situation. You know, I was thinking about myself this, this week, like what are some situations I've been in that have been absolutely awkward and horrible, and I think, well, what did I do? I, I got out of them. But the thing is this, Peter wrote this letter to people 
who were living in the Roman Empire as Christians, and they were experiencing very difficult circumstances uh, in the Roman Empire at this time. This was the time of the great persecution at the time of Caesar Nero. To be a Christian at this time was incredibly dangerous, incredibly difficult. It would mean that people might break into your house and plunder your house, drag off your family, drag you off. It might have meant, uh, you know, torture, even death many times. And for these people, there were only two ways to get out of this difficult situation and circumstance. Two ways. One is to stop being a Christian, and the other one was to die. So you could either stop being Christian or die. That's the only way out of this situation. So Peter's writing to people in this difficult situation that they really can't get out of without denying Jesus or dying. And he wants to write them for a couple reasons. One reason is to say, hey, don't try to get out of this by giving up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus in the midst of this. He writes and says, hey, look, guys, think about this. This life is really short and eternity is really long. And the promise of the gospel is that because of what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, if you put your trust in him and what he did for you, if your faith is in him and in that gospel, that good news, then you have the hope and the promise of eternal life. And these momentary sufferings that you're enduring are not even worth comparing to the glory which is going to be revealed to you in eternity. And so he tells them, don't give up on Jesus. But here's what's so interesting. The main thrust of Peter's message is not, hey guys, just hang on just a little longer because soon enough, you know, you'll get lucky and somebody will kill you, you know, and you'll, you'll die and you'll be able to get the heck out of this nasty old earth and you'll get to go to heaven. You might think that that would be his, his message to them, right? I mean, here they are suffering. You might think, hey, soon enough we'll get out of this terrible old world and then we can go to heaven. This terrible old world. Remember the terrible old world that Jesus died for to save. And that's what Peter's letter is all about. He doesn't just tell them, you know, hold out the carrot of eternal life and say, guys, hang on just a little longer and then maybe you'll get lucky and die and go to heaven. No, he says this. He says, guys, you're suffering right now, but I'm writing to you to tell you how to live this life right now, here and now, because of the hope that you have in heaven. I want your hope to be in heaven, but I want your feet to be firmly here on earth. And Peter's encouraging us and them at that time, but also us, right, at our time, to be sojourners, to view ourselves as sojourners. In other words, this world is not our home. Our ultimate hope is not in this world. It's in heaven. And one day, God will bring us home. But until that day comes, God has a life for you to live. He has a purpose with you here in this world. In other words, you're not just a sojourner. You are a sojourner on a mission. You are a sojourner on assignment. The reason why God has left you here for this time is because he has a purpose with your life. And therefore, your posture towards this world is not to be one of a, a tourist, right? Tourists are disengaged with the places they visit, right? They don't put down roots. They don't get involved because they know that on Thursday, they're gonna go to the airport and fly back home. Nor are you to view this world as if your posture is that of a prisoner of war, right? Captive and just waiting to get out. No, our posture in this world as foreigners and as sojourners is to be that of missionaries. Missionaries. It's not our home, but we're here on a mission. In other words, Peter is telling us this. Jesus didn't only come to save us from certain things. Jesus also came to save us for certain things. You know that, right? He didn't only come to save us from some things. He came to save us for things. He didn't only come to save us from our sins and from hell and from this broken world. He also came to save us for a purpose, for a mission, for his glory. See, the reason Jesus came wasn't just to save you from Nero, 
and from persecution and from sickness and from your problems that you're facing right now. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. See, Jesus didn't only come to save you from things. He also came to save you for greater things. See, he came to save you for a relationship with God. He came to save you for the sake of others. He came to save you for those people whom he wants to bless and speak to and reach and build up through you. You could put it this way. What is Christianity all about, right? What is it, what is it really all about at the end of the day? Is it, uh, you know, what is this salvation that Jesus gave us? What is it really about? Is it just the promise that if we pray a prayer or we give a nod to God, so to say, right, that we can punch our ticket to heaven and not go to hell when we die? I mean, certainly that's part of it, but is that all it is? What Peter is telling us here in 1 Peter is that Christianity is more than that, and it's something much better than that. To be a Christian is to receive a whole new life. It's to receive the life of the resurrected Jesus in you, and to live that life out through you. See, and, and so to these people, in the midst of great difficulty, and to us, in the midst of the difficulties that we face, Peter is here to show us that what we need is not just an escape from this life. What we need is a whole new life altogether. And that's what Jesus came to give us. And you could call that, if we were going to give it a name, I like to call it the resurrected life. The resurrected life. And here in this section, Peter talks to us about this resurrected life and what it's about. And here's what he says. Three things that we're going to look at in this, in this text. Number one, the resurrected life begins with salvation. Number two, the resurrected life requires death. And number three, the resurrected life leads to joy now and glory later. Okay, let's look at the first one of those. The resurrected life begins with salvation. In verses 18 through 22 of chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, Peter talks about what Jesus did to save us and what he saved us from. And he says in verse 18 that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. In other words, Jesus saved us from judgment and he saved us to a relationship with the Father. And he did that by becoming one of us and dying in the flesh to take the judgment that we deserved for our actions and for our sins. And, and by doing that, through his death, he removed the barrier that stood between us and God. But let me ask you this. So historians all agree, right, that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who lived some 2,000 years ago in Israel, right? They, nobody doubts that. No legitimate historian questions that. Furthermore, they all agree that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was put to death on a Roman cross by the Jews and the Romans working together because this man, Jesus, claimed to be both God and king, which, of course, you know, did not appeal to those people. So, in other words, we know that Jesus existed. We know that Jesus died. The question is this, how do we know that his death actually accomplished what the Bible says it accomplished. Because lots of people die. He wasn't the only person who's ever been crucified. How do we know that his death actually accomplished what the Bible says it accomplished? Well, well, think about it like this. Imagine one evening, you're at your house. One of your friends comes over to visit you and see you at your house or your apartment. They knock on the door, you let them in. But inside your house or your apartment, it's completely dark inside. There's no lights on. And your friend asks you, hey, why don't you turn on the lights? And you say, well... 
uh, because the electric company shut off my electricity because I haven't been paying my bill, right? Like I, I can't afford it. And then, you know, I didn't pay it for a couple months and I got all these fees and fines and stuff. And I, I racked up all this interest on it. So I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to pay this thing off. And so your friend says to you, well, hang on a second. I'm going to go down right now to the office, the electric company office, and I'm going to find out how much you owe, and I'm going to see, I don't know, you know, how much it is. I don't know if I can afford it, but if I can, then I'm going to pay off your debt. And so your friend disappears, and about half an hour later, your lights come on. How do you know that your friend succeeded in this mission to pay your debt and get your electricity, you know, penalty paid? Well, you know because your lights came on, right? That's the indicator that uh, it worked. This is Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, inviting you to join us this Easter weekend as we celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll begin on Good Friday. We'll have two services on Good Friday at 5 o'clock and 6.30 p.m. On Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, we'll begin at 6 a.m. with our sunrise service, and then we'll have 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. services. Invite everybody, but bring somebody. And we can't wait to see you this Easter Sunday as we celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus because he has risen from the dead. For information, directions, and details, visit our website at whitefieldschurch.com. Think about this. If you went back in a time machine, back to the old days when if you fell into debt, you didn't file for bankruptcy. What they did is they actually put you in a debtor's prison, which was a super bad place to be, right? Nobody wants to be in debtor's prison because in debtor's prison, you can't get out until you pay your debt, but you can't make money to pay your debt because you're in prison, so you can't get a job, right? Actually made debtor's prisons illegal in most of the world for this very reason. But in the old days, this is how it was. If you fell into debt, you couldn't pay it off. you go to debtor's prison. So let's imagine you're in debtor's prison. You owe some amount of money to somebody. One of your friends walks by, notices that you're in jail, and says, hey, why are you in jail? You say, well, because I owe some money to this guy, and I, I can't pay it off. And they say, well, look, I'm going to go talk to that guy, and I'm going to go see you know, how much it is and if I can pay it off. So he goes away, and you don't know, is he going to be able to do it or not? But... 15 minutes later, somebody comes and they unlock the prison door and they tell you that you're free to go. So how do you know if your friend was successful in paying off your debt? Well, here's how you know. Because the penalty was canceled. That's how you know. Because the penalty was canceled. Because the prison door was opened, because the lights came on, you know that your debt must have been paid in the same way. How do we know that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, actually worked? How do we know that it does what it says here in verse 18, that it took away our sins and brought us to God? How do we know that it worked? Here's how. Because of the resurrection. Of the resurrection. Peter ties that in here in these verses. The resurrection. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was like the lights coming on. It was like the prison door being opened. It was the proof that Jesus succeeded in his mission to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross and bring us to God. How do we know that? Here's how. Because death is a penalty. The Bible tells us that, right? The wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. So death is a penalty. Uh, it's not something natural. It's not something that was part of our original creation. It's a penalty. So like the lights turning back on or the prison door being opened, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the proof that he succeeded in paying the penalty for our sins because the penalty was removed. 
That's why when Peter talks about our salvation, he doesn't only talk about Jesus' death on our behalf, he also talks about Jesus' resurrection. But here's what's really important to see. So Jesus died and he resurrected. But here's what I don't want you to miss, is the whole thrust of what we're talking about today. Peter wants us to understand that Jesus' death and resurrection are not merely historical events. They are, but they're not merely historical events. They are also a present reality. They are a present reality that takes place in your life when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus died and resurrected, to become a Christian is the end of one life and the beginning of a new life. See, Paul the Apostle talked about this. He put it this way. He, he talks about it a lot, actually. Here's, here's a couple things he said. He said this in Galatians 3.20. He said, I have been crucified together with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you know what the biggest picture we have of that is? That Peter even talks about here. It's baptism. Baptism is a picture of you experiencing death and resurrection. And again, Paul talks about that too in Romans chapter 6. Let me just read to you. He says this in Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into Christ Jesus and we were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. You know, the word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means immersion. So it literally means immersion, right? Baptizo. So this baptism is a picture, right? As a person is immersed in the waters of baptism, it's a picture of them being laid to death, being buried under the water, being put under the water. And as they're lifted out of the water, it's a symbol or a sign of new life, new life. In other words, Christianity isn't just about getting a ticket to heaven or a ticket out of hell. It's something much better than that, something much bigger than that. It's about receiving a new life, the life of Jesus in you. And that's why Peter, in this section, he ties it into baptism. He talks about the resurrection, about baptism. But here's the thing. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but he does it in kind of a pretty weird way. These are, these are some pretty strange verses. And he says it in a way, these verses can be a little bit confusing. And I think they need some explanation. Martin Luther called this passage the most wonderful, obscure passage in the Bible. The most wonderful, obscure passage in the Bible. In other words, uh, this passage is a little bit odd, weird, strange, different. But when you understand what Peter's saying through it, it's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, okay? So starting in verse 18, Peter says this. He says, Jesus went in the spirit and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. See, this is what happens when you teach through the Bible verse by verse, right? You have to talk about these verses that people generally avoid. So that's what we're doing right now. Here's what Martin Luther said. Uh, you know, Martin Luther, great theologian, right? great reformer, great Bible teacher and Bible commentator, wrote commentaries on many of the books of the Bible. He wrote a commentary on 1 Peter. Here's what he had to say about this passage. A wonderful text it is, and a more obscure passage than anywhere else in the Bible. Therefore, I do not know for certainty what Peter means at all. Martin Luther, the great theologian, looked at this text and said, pass, I don't know. 
I have no idea what the heck this guy's talking about. I'm just going to move on, right? Like he didn't even try. But thankfully, there are other people throughout history who have looked at this and they, they do know what, you know, try to figure out what it means. Historically, Christians have looked at this passage and understood it as referring to something that Jesus did after his death on the cross and before his resurrection on the third day. So, uh, during that time, it seems that Jesus' spirit went to Sheol, which is the dwelling place of the dead. And I'll explain that in a second. But by the way, maybe you have noticed that in the Apostles' Creed, which is, by the way, the, the oldest kind of continuous creed that Christians use, dating all the way back to the 4th century, right, the 300s AD, one of the lines in the Apostles' Creed says, Jesus descended into hell before he was resurrected on the third day. Now, that's been kind of amended more recently, where they've changed it to say he ascended, or sorry, he descended to the dead rather than to hell. And that's actually a little bit more accurate biblically, and I'll explain why in a second. But this is something that um, is also talked about in other places in the Bible. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that Jesus, who ascended into heaven, first descended into the depths of the earth. And so, uh, what this means is that in between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, what did Jesus do? Well, it says that in his spirit, right, he descended into Sheol, and in the spirit he proclaimed something to the spirits of the deceased. So what, what was it that he proclaimed? Well, First, before we answer that, take a look at another verse in this same passage, which is why I tried to group these verses together. So look down with me to chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6, which says this. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, so what is that about? Well, there's a helpful little story in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells us. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus. Check it out. Um, The story, unlike some of the Jesus' other stories, this story doesn't seem to be a parable. It actually seems to be a story about two actual people who lived and died. And Jesus is kind of giving us the the behind-the-scenes look, right? Like God's view, stuff only God knows behind the scenes about what happened with these people when they died. So it says that both men's souls went to Sheol. Now, Sheol is the dwelling place of the dead. It's where spirits go to wait. And I'll explain that in a second. But Sheol is a place, basically, understand this. It's the place where all people's spirits went when they died. So Sheol, for example, in the Psalms, David talks about how when he dies, his spirit will go to Sheol. Okay, so Sheol, though, is divided into two parts, or at least it was up until this time. So Sheol was divided into two parts. One of those places was a place of comfort for those who died in faith called Abraham's bosom. The other part was a place of torment called Hades or hell. Now, both of these places in Sheol were essentially waiting rooms, right? They were waiting rooms where the souls of the dead awaited the final judgment. Some in torment and some in comfort, depending how they had responded to God during their lives on earth. And the other thing Jesus tells us in Luke 16 that's really key is this, that it was impossible for souls to cross over 
from one part of Sheol to the other. It's impossible to cross over. And so when Jesus died, here's, here's how we put this all together. It seems that his spirit went to Sheol and he proclaimed the news of what he had accomplished and done in his life and in his death on the cross, right? Atoning for sin to bring redemption. And for those who had died in faith, right, who were in Abraham's bosom part of Sheol, who had humbled themselves during their lives before God and cast themselves on his mercy and asked for his grace, right, we call these people the Old Testament saints, right? These are the people like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Ruth, right, and David. They, They weren't able to go to heaven when they died. Why? Because their sins had not yet been atoned for because Jesus had not yet come. The Savior had not yet come to do that work. So they went to Sheol, to this division in Sheol called Abraham's bosom, not heaven, but a waiting place in Sheol. And when Jesus announced to all of Sheol what he had done and what he had accomplished through his life and his death, those souls that were kept in Abraham's bosom were released to go and be with God in his presence, right? That's what chapter four, verse six is talking about. So people ask, well, well, so if I die today and I, my faith is in the gospel, my trust in the gospel, will I go to be with God? The answer is yes, your spirit will go to be with God. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.